Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 27. It says this, And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I do not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. The Puritan Richard Baxter writes, It is most lamentable thing to see how most people spend their time and their energy for trifles while God is cast aside. He who is all seems to them as nothing, and that which is nothing seems to them as good as all. It is lamentable indeed, knowing that God has set mankind in such a race where heaven or hell is their certain end, that they should sit down and loiter or run after the childish toys of the world, forgetting the prize they should run for. Were it but possible for one of us to see this business as the all-seeing God does and see what most men and women in the world are interested in, and what they are doing every day. It would be the saddest sight imaginable. Oh, how we should marvel at their madness and lament at their self-delusion. If God had never told them that they were sent into the world to do, or what was before them in another world, then there would have been some excuse. But it is sealed in his word, and they profess to believe it. This morning I want to talk about aligning our heart with the mission, with the mission of Christ. You know, when I ran my first ever marathon in November of last year, the easiest part of that marathon was the start. I had trained, I had ran 20 miles three times, I rested the night before, the temperature was chilly, but it was a great day for running. It was easy to start the race. The hard part was to finish the race. Mile 10, I felt great. I was on pace. I was doing well. Mile 20, I slowed a little bit. My pace got a little slower, but I knew I could do it. But soon came mile 25. My body shut down. My legs refused to go. I hurt everywhere. And I remember praying, Lord, don't let me end this marathon here. Give me the strength to finish. And sure enough, he did. Not only did I finish, I was able to finish in 
what to me felt like a sprint, but it probably didn't look like a sprint. And you know, that's kind of the way it is in the Christian life. It is especially true in ministry. You see, many start well, but it seems there are a few who finish well. They start off, but then they get into conflict. Someone doesn't like them. They bring the stress home to their family, whatever it might be. They start well, but they don't finish well. I don't know of anyone who would say, you know, I really want to start well, but I want to get about halfway done and then just give up. Paul is speaking in our text this morning to these elders at the church of Ephesus. He didn't want them to quit. He wanted them to finish. And Paul is sharing the secret to finishing. Paul will know what it's like to finish well because later he writes to Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. The secret to finishing well is found in verse 24. But here's the thing. Verse 24 does not just apply to Paul, but it applies to every single follower of Jesus Christ. In verse 24, Paul is making it clear he does not count his life of value to himself. He does not live for self, but he lives in order to complete the mission that the Lord has for him. Paul called the mission, or Paul loved the mission, or was devoted to the mission more than life itself. In other words, Paul's heart was aligned with the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning, here's what I want us to know. If we want to finish well, we must align our heart with his mission. Now I know what you're thinking. Well, that's great for Paul or for someone who's going to be a missionary or someone that's going to go into full-time ministry, but I'm just a normal Christian. I submit to you this morning what each and every one of us Every single person that is a follower of Christ must align their heart with his mission. So let's break this down. First of all, God has given you a ministry. God has given you a ministry. Look what Paul says in verse 24. He wants to finish the course and the ministry that he received. In order to align our heart with his mission, you must understand that God has given you a ministry. You say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't have a ministry. And I say that's false. It's not possible. It may be possible for you to be a Christian and not be involved in a ministry or not know your ministry. But every Christian, every follower of Christ has a ministry. We have to get rid of this kind of, of, of thinking that says only certain Christians have a ministry. It's not possible for you to be a Christian and not have a ministry. It, ministry is not just for super spiritual people. And we have to stop thinking that only super Christians go into the ministry. While everyone else is just volunteers. Every Christian has received a gift from God. And every Christian will give an account to how they stewarded that gift for the purpose of God. Listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4, 
verse 10. He says, each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So it does not matter what your occupation is. If you're a Christian, you're in the ministry. Just as I pastor, as a pastor, I'm in the ministry. I happen to get supported to be in the, in the ministry. Thankful to a church that's willing to support me. But regardless, we are all in the ministry. Our problem is that we have thought of the ministry as some sort of task. We have made it something that, that we do. That you're in the ministry. It's something that you do. And so we say a missionary is in the ministry. Or a pastor is in the ministry. Or a student pastor is in the ministry. But that's wrong thinking. It's not something you do. But it's who you are. It is a way of thinking. It's supposed to ooze out of us as followers of Christ because it means that we are available to God at all times no matter the circumstance. You are always seeking to help others draw near to God. This takes on many different forms. It could be that you share the gospel with someone or it could be that you encourage another believer in their walk with Christ or it may mean that you listen to someone's struggles and you share scripture with them that relates to their struggles or it may mean that you give in order to meet a need that someone has regardless it is ministry we have to get rid of the mindset that ministry only occurs on Sunday morning and and well I gotta go do ministry or that it only occurs when we're leading some sort of Bible study ministry means that you are available to be used by God to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in your life and every single one of us has been given a ministry. And if we want to align our hearts. With his mission. We need to be aware. That we are in ministry. That you this morning. If you say you are a follower of Christ. You are in ministry. Now just in case you think well. Uh, I'll do that, that someday. You know someday I will do ministry that leads us to point two and that's this you are obligated by the spirit you are obligated by the spirit look at what Paul says he says that he is constrained by the spirit he says he is constrained by the spirit there in verse 22 if we're going to finish well and have our hearts aligned with his mission, we must understand that we're obligated by the Spirit. This is what Paul is saying when he says that he, he's constrained. Constrained means obligated. Here's the thing. Paul does not even know what's going to happen other than imprisonment and affliction. Notice this, this did not keep Paul from serving. Why didn't Paul just decide to retire somewhere? And just, you know, live it up. Why would he be okay with imprisonment and afflictions? Because he was on mission. He was on a mission and it was not his own mission, but it was the Lord's mission. He was obligated by the Spirit. He was not just doing it to do it. He wasn't just doing it for 
fun. Paul saw himself as someone who had no control over himself, but was completely controlled by the Holy Spirit. In other words, Paul was under orders and he was going to be obedient to what the Holy Spirit was guiding him to do. Here's what I want you to understand, church. Serving is not a choice. It's not a choice. It's an obligation. It's not, oh, I'll do it if I want to. You are obligated to do it. Here's what happens. People look at serving, especially within the church environment, as um, something they can either do or not do. I can either do this or not do it. If I like it, then I'll do it. Or if, I, if I'm really getting along in the church, then maybe I'll serve. If not, then I won't do it. But here's the thing. You don't have a choice. You are under obligation. All followers of Christ are under obligation to serve Christ. Some of you in here are, are old enough to remember what it's like to be drafted. You were chosen. You were drafted to serve. It didn't matter if you liked it or not. Did they ask you, oh, do you, do you like this? They didn't care. It didn't matter where you slept. It didn't matter what you ate or where you were sent to serve because you were chosen to do it. You were picked out you were drafted to do so and you had your orders and you would do what you were supposed to do it's the same way with Christians you were bought with the blood of Jesus Christ he purchased you you are not your own you completely belong to him because he bought you you are his slave you don't have a choice in the matter you are under orders you don't you don't like it too bad you don't you don't get to quit you don't get to say, oh, well, I give up. You are obligated by the Spirit. If we want to finish well and have our hearts aligned with His mission, we must understand that we are obligated by the Spirit. Thirdly, your life belongs to Christ. Expect afflictions when following Him. Your life belongs to Christ. Expect afflictions when following him Paul makes it clear that he doesn't count his life of any value to himself if following Christ means affliction he's going to do it when we align our heart with his mission we should expect affliction it didn't matter what came Paul's way hardships shipwrecks beatings imprisonments and even death he was going to follow the Lord church I can't emphasize enough that when we are followers of Christ, he bids us come and die. We die to ourselves. We follow him. It doesn't matter what we want anymore. It matters only what he wants. And for some reason, within Christianity, we've peddled this Christianity that says, well, go to church if it's convenient for you. If you have some extra money, then you can drop it in the offering plate. And then live the rest of your life for the American dream. You want the nice house and the nice car and the nice family. And, and try to uh, 
get, uh, get all the stuff you can that will make you feel happy. And if you somehow end up with some extra time on your hands, then perhaps, perhaps maybe you could volunteer at your church. But only if you have the time and only if it's convenient. Your number one priority is to be happy and live your best life now and eventually retire and do the things that you love to do. That's the American dream. And here's what's sad is we have churches proclaiming that. That's, that's what you need to do with your life. God just wants you to be happy. Church, that is a load of garbage. It's a lie from Satan. It's not the call of Christ. The call of Christ is that you give up the American dream and that you have no rights and that your will is completely surrendered to the will of Christ. If, if you happen to have money and, and you, you love a lifestyle that gives or you have a lifestyle that gives you a lot of, of money, then give it away to accomplish the Lord's work. You're willing to give it all up. That's the call of Christ. If that's what it takes to give up everything that the Lord has given you in order to reach someone for Jesus, for whatever reason, we think that this is, this is um, for those that are called into ministry. You know, only those people that are called into ministry are to give up uh, wealth and to give up money. What I've always found funny about that is that when you are called to ministry, you are never expected to live at the same comfort level as normal people. And if you do, then, then you're either being paid too much or you're not committed to the cause. Meanwhile, everyone else who is not called to the ministry, they don't have to worry about such things because they're not called to the ministry so they can do whatever they want. After all, you're supposed to deny yourself, but they're not. And that's just not biblical. Normal Christianity is to deny yourself. That's not fanatical Christianity. That's not like super Christians deny themselves. Super Christians give their money away. Super Christians give to missions. Super Christians go on the mission field. No, that's just normal. That's just what normal Christians do. Jesus said this, if anyone would come after me, let him what? Deny himself. And do what? Take up his cross. And then do what? Follow me. For whoever shall save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. Jesus is not saying, oh, oh, uh, by the way, if you want to be a super committed Christian, then this is what you have to do. You have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. No, that's not what he says. He says if this is what you want to do, this is what salvation hinges on. You deny yourself, you take up your cross, and you follow me. This is normal Christianity. This call of radical self-denial to the point of death, to the point of I will deny myself even to to. Dying is for every single follower of Jesus Christ. It says, my life belongs to you, Lord. I lay down my life for you. You see, church, 
Normal Christianity is quite simple. It's utter surrender of who you are. But here's the thing. That means some affliction on some level. It's not saying that every Christian that follows Christ is going to be beaten or tortured or martyred. However, it does mean that some form of affliction, and if you do not go through some affliction, maybe it's because you're not really following. Paul told young Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not might be, not probably will be, or may one day eventually possibly go through persecution. But Paul says every follower will be persecuted. He also said that through many tribulations we enter the kingdom of God. He tells the church in Thessalonica that they were destined for affliction. Well, that sounds great, doesn't it? You're destined for affliction and and that while he was with them, he had told them they would suffer afflictions. Here's the thing. We never say things like this when we're telling people about the gospel. We never say to them that they are already dead in their sin and that the Lord commands them to come and die to themselves and surrender their lives to him. We don't say that. After all, who would want to surrender to that? Why would we want to surrender to something that would that would uh, cause us to expect affliction. Why would we want to do that? Well, because the only other option is to live for self in worldly pleasures which are fleeting and then face God's judgment and wrath in hell which is eternal. If we try to save our life in this world by living for self, we will lose it. But if we surrender our life to Jesus Christ for the sake of the gospel, we will save it. That's what Jesus said. Your life belongs to Christ. You should expect afflictions when we follow him. Now, some people are fearful. They are afraid of what those afflictions might be because we don't know the future. We don't know what the future holds. But here's the thing. I know for myself, I don't fear the future, even if it means affliction. You know why the Christian doesn't fear the future? You know how it is a Christian doesn't fear the future? I mean, I've had people say, well, what if this happens? Or what if that happens? Or what if this takes place? Or what? So what? You know why I don't fear the future? Because I know who holds the future. And though he does not let me know the details of what the future holds, he does let me know the details of his will in Scripture. And I know that out of love, I am to be obedient. And I know that, that, that this is his will. We always want to worry about his will. This is his will, your sanctification. The Holy Spirit revealed to Paul that imprisonment and afflictions awaited him. But he didn't know what to what extent. He didn't know how long. As a follower of Christ, we are called to live our life in a way that brings him glory. And we are called to live our life in a way that, that may not know the future, but it knows who holds the future. 
This means that, that when a trial comes into our life, He will give us the grace to endure it. We do not live our lives for the temporary measures of this world or the pleasures that we can see in this world, but we live in light of eternity. The only way for us to live that way now is to understand that our life belongs to Christ and we should expect afflictions because we are following him, but trust in his grace in the midst of those afflictions. So to align our heart with his mission, we know God has given us a ministry. We know that we are obligated by the spirit that we that our life belongs to Christ. Therefore, we should expect afflictions when following him. Fourthly, we bear testimony to the gospel of the grace of God. We bear testimony to the gospel of the grace of God. That's what Paul says. Paul's heart was aligned with the mission of Christ because he bore testimony to the gospel of the grace of God. There is a specific call to be a pastor or a full-time missionary, and not everyone is called to do that. However, the bottom line is this. God has entrusted all followers of Christ with gifts and They are to be faithfully used to give testimony to the gospel of grace of God. Our lives and our words are to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And if they betray it and lead others astray, then in some sense we are guilty of their blood. Look at verse 24. If our testimony, or actually verse 26, if our testimony can declare us innocent... Paul says, therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. If our testimony can declare us innocent, then our lack of a testimony can declare us guilty. Do you understand that, church? If our testimony can declare us innocent, if Paul can say in these words, therefore, I testify... I give testimony to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. If our testimony can declare us innocent, then our lack of testimony can declare us guilty. You know where Paul's drawing this illustration from? From Ezekiel chapter 33. I've preached on that passage here before at this church. This passage talks about the watchman. And if the watchman sees the enemy coming and does not sound the warning, then he's guilty of the blood of those who die. However, if the watchman sees the enemy coming and sounds the warning and the people ignore it, then he's not guilty of their blood. It says their blood will be on their own heads. And honestly, I don't know what it fully looks like when the Lord tells Ezekiel their blood will be required from his hand. If he fails to sound the warning. I don't know what that looks like. My only thought is that it's a loss of reward in heaven. And that someone. um, um, You know. will, Will before entering heaven. Perhaps they will see the blood of someone else. On their hands. I don't know what it looks like. What I do know is this. It's a warning. And it's meant to and should scare us. It should cause us to fear God. More than we fear men. It should cause us to stop and think, wait a second, I may be responsible for someone else's blood if I don't share Christ with them. In the end, it will not matter whether men like you or not, but it will matter whether you testified to the gospel of the grace of God. Therefore, if you want to be innocent of the blood of others, then we bear testimony to the gospel of the grace of God. And when this life is over and we enter glory, we will hear, well done, good and faithful servants. Well, what is the 
gospel of grace anyway? What is the good news that it is the gospel? What, it, what is that? Well, good news is, is the gospel. It means that God will pardon guilty sinners who trust in Christ as their Savior. However, if the good news is that God will pardon guilty sinners, then the bad news is also true. God will eternally damn all those who trust in self for salvation. This is what our lives are to reflect. So much so that Paul says it again. And he says that he went about proclaiming the kingdom of God, which is a parallel to testifying to the gospel of the grace of God. Church, plain and simple, our call is to bear witness with our lives and our words to the gospel and the grace of God. Tell others that God will pardon guilty sinners who trust Christ as their Savior and make sure that they know he will eternally damn those who do not. Finally and lastly, fifthly this morning, if we want to align our hearts with his mission, we must declare the whole counsel of God. Look what Paul says in verse 27. He says again, For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul didn't just teach what felt good. He did not teach only what made him look good or what made people happy. Paul was balanced in what he taught. He taught the whole counsel of God. You know how we get heresy in a church? It takes a truth and it elevates it above all else. So it will declare one truth superior to all other truths. And then you end up with heresy. It says, well, we're going to take um, this truth that God is love. And we're going to elevate that over every other truth that we know. So God is love is elevated over God is truth. God is justice. God is holy. So we elevate this one truth over everything else. And then you end up with heresy. This happens all the time. Paul declared the whole counsel of God. He didn't tiptoe around hard theological truths. He didn't soft pedal the gospel. We must declare the whole counsel of God. We don't declare one truth of God as superior to all others. We teach that every person is personally responsible for their sin. And that everyone everywhere is commanded to repent and trust in Christ as their Savior and Lord. But at the same time, we know that Paul said in Ephesians that people are predestined according to his purpose. Who works all things after the counsel of his will. Both of them are true. Teaching the whole counsel of God means we don't dodge things because they're hard or that 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 we don't quite understand them that we don't skip over things because it's a difficult truth to teach and understand teaching the whole counsel of God means that what we read in the word we do it and we teach it why because 2 Timothy 3:16 tells us all scripture is breathed out by God. Your Bible might say God breathed. And a better translation is breathed out by God because that's what that uh, word actually means in the Greek. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for what? For teaching, reproof, and correction and for training in righteousness. We understand that 
this is the word of God. That the Bible is the word of God and that he breathed it out by him. And when it confronts sin, we confront sin. And when someone's off base theologically and it goes against this, which is breathed out by God, then we say, hey, I have a concern. Let's let's talk this over. Let's get some correction. When we meet a lost person, then we seek to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because this scripture is breathed out by God and it tells us that we are to be sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We declare to them the whole counsel of God's word. I know as a pastor, I'm not just going to focus on what feels good or what sounds good or what makes you feel all nice inside. There are things that personally and honestly, I'd rather skip over. But I don't do it because my cause declare the whole counsel of God's word. You say, well, I'm not a preacher. And I, don't, and I don't teach, so I guess I'm off the hook. That doesn't apply to me. I don't have to worry about it. Wrong. As a believer, you should be seeking to understand the whole counsel of God's word. Not just part of it. You shouldn't be like reading your Bible for the passages that make you feel good all the time. You should be seeking to understand the whole counsel of God's word and then using your gifts, whatever they are, to share your understanding of that with other people. The whole counsel of God's word. Roger Sims was hitchhiking his way home. He would never forget the day, May 7th. His heavy suitcase made Roger tired. He was anxious to take off his army uniform once and for all. Flashing the hitchhiking sign on the oncoming car, he lost hope when he saw it was a black, sleek, new Cadillac. To his surprise, the car stopped. The passenger door opened. He ran towards the car tossed his suitcase in the back and thanked the handsome, well-dressed man as he slid into the front seat. Going home for keeps? Sure am, Roger responded. Well, you're in luck if you're going to Chicago. Not quite that far. Do you live in Chicago? I have a business there. My name is Hanover. After talking about many things, Roger, a Christian, felt a compulsion to witness to this 50-ish apparently successful businessmen about Christ, but he kept putting it off till he realized he was just 30 minutes from his home. It was now or never. So Roger cleared his throat. Mr. Hanover, I'd like to talk to you about something very important. He then proceeded to explain the way of salvation, ultimately asking Mr. Hanover if he would like to receive Christ as his savior. To Roger's astonishment, the Cadillac pulled over to the side of the road. Roger thought he was going to be ejected from the car, but the businessman bowed his head and received Christ. Then thank Roger, this is the greatest thing that has ever happened to me. Five years went by. Roger married, had, two, had a two-year-old boy and a business of his own, packing his suitcase for a business trip to Chicago. He found the small white business card Hanover had given him five years before. In Chicago, he looked up Hanover Enterprises. The receptionist told him it was impossible to see Mr. Hanover, but he could see Mrs. Hanover. 
A little confused as to what was going on, he was ushered into a lovely office and found himself facing a keen-eyed woman in her 50s. She extended her hand. You knew my husband? Roger told how her husband had given him a ride when hitchhiking home after the war. Can you tell me when that was? It was May 7th, five years ago, the day I was discharged from the Army. Anything special about that day? Roger hesitated. Should he mention giving his witness? Since he had come so far, he might as well take the plunge. Mrs. Hanover, I explained the gospel. He pulled over to the side of the road and wept against that steering wheel. He gave his life to Christ that day. Explosive sobs shook her body. Getting a grip on herself, she sobbed and sobbed. I had prayed for my husband's salvation for years. I believed God would save him and said, Roger, where is your husband, Mrs. Hanover? He's dead. She wept. Struggling with words, he was in a car crash after he let you out of the car. He never got home. You see, I thought God had not kept his promise. Sobbing uncontrollably, she added, I stopped living for God five years ago because I thought he had not kept his word. Church, let the words of Paul echo in your heart this morning. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. For if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. If we want to finish well, we must align our hearts with his mission. So I ask you this morning, is your heart aligned with his mission? He's given you a ministry. You are obligated by the Holy Spirit. Your life belongs to Christ. You should expect afflictions. You, are you bearing testimony to the gospel of the grace of God? Are you seeking to understand and declare the whole counsel of God? I simply ask you, do you want to finish well? Do you want to finish well? Then you must put Jesus above life itself. Is that where he's at in your life this morning? If you reflect on your life, do you say Jesus is above all else? If he's not, then I challenge you today Maybe bow your head in prayer. Maybe come down this morning and, and say, Pastor, I need to talk to you. But if he's not above all else, you need him to be in his rightful place in your life. Above everything. And if you don't know him, I challenge you this morning. Come to know Christ as your Savior. Let's close with prayer.